Welcome to Event Up, the place where people enthusiastic about events stay in the know on the latest trends within the events industry. Live, hybrid, and virtual experiences. From virtual events to conferences, award galas, and everything in between. Here's your host, Amanda Ma. Hello, welcome to Event Up, the place to get the latest and greatest event industry news, ideas, and topics. In this episode, we'll be discussing all things incentive travel and elevating women in the workplace. Today, I'm joined by Annette Gregg, CEO at Society for Incentive Travel Excellence, also known as SITE. Annette, who has so many accreditations, CMM, MBA, is the CEO of the Society for Incentive Travel Excellence. Leading is 2,500 global members in the Site Foundation. She has an extensive background in the meeting and hospitality industry, serving in executive level position for corporations, associations, and nonprofits. She regularly delivers keynotes on topics including diversity and unconscious bias, promoting women in the workplace, and a variety of professional development topics. She is an honoree for the Women in Tourism and Hospitality and has won the Coach Award for the Association of Women in Events, North Star Meeting Influencer, Smart Women Industry Leader, Meetings Net Changemaker List, Meetings Today Trends Letter, and the Planner of the Year for the MPI San Diego. Oh my goodness, Jeanette, thank you so much. I mean, that's amazing. Any longer, I'm going to have to have a whole session on just, on just your awards. <laughs> Thanks, Amanda. Well, thanks for having me today. It's funny when you listen to your bio and things get longer. It just means you've been around longer. It just means you're getting older, I think. No, it just means you're but, doing big, bold things and really being oh. a change agent for our industry. So that's incredible. Well, thank you. And you too, congratulations on your recent award as well. I mean, I love hearing your story, your journey. This is your second successful company you've launched and you've already hit the nine-year mark on this one. Like, I just love meeting women entrepreneurs. You guys are rock stars to me. Thank you. Well, rock stars me, rock stars, right? So the stars align. <laughs> so Annette, how did you get started in the industry? Let's dive in a little bit on that. Yeah, you know, I love this story is so crazy because, uh, again, I'm in my mid-50s. I've been in the industry about 30 years, and everyone around my age seems to have this same story, which is we kind of fell into it. Well, I, I went to school for politics. I, I went to Berkeley, and I was a poli-sci major, and I immediately moved to Washington, D.C. and was working for a congressman. And and then my friend who was working for an association across town said, hey, do you want to come sell exhibit space for our trade show? And I said, I don't know what that means, but it involved travel and it sounded fun. So I said, let's go. And so their annual conference was in Chicago and I got to work on a 36,000 person convention with 1200 booths. And uh, then I got to do their shows in Guadalajara and Hong Kong. And it just, I never really looked back from there. So I've been on the trade show side. I've been on the venue side. I worked for a couple of different uh, DMOs and destination marketing organizations. I worked for a DMC. And then I've been on the planner side as well. So I uh, eventually ended up here at site because I was working for NPI. I was their chief sales officer there after I had been on the board for a long time. And, 
And then this CEO position came over, uh, came open at site. And, and you know, Amanda, there are just not that many CEO roles in our industry uh, that exist in the associations. And so I, I was loving my job at MPI. I really had to have a great team there and still good friendships, but I just needed to jump when the opportunity knocked. So I was thrilled to be able to, to be chosen as CEO just about a year ago now for site. That's incredible. And then it really with site, you have, you know, over 3000 member across 90 countries, you're really, your footprint is quite large, actually. It is. And that's probably the biggest difference I'm noticing. Um, even though MPI was uh, close to 13 or 15,000 members, this feels so much more international. So our board is very international. Our board meetings are all over the world. Just this year, I've been on probably four different continents and uh, done a lot of long haul travel visiting our, our different chapters. And I think that's just site is really the only global association for specific to incentive travel. So uh, we're just fortunate uh, that we've been around 50 years and we're kind of a brand that people trust. And incentive travel is hitting uh, such a good place right now, which I know we'll talk about in a second. But yeah, I mean, sites membership, this is kind of our all-time high. In the 50 years we've been around, um, we're just under 3,000 now, and, and that's the highest we've ever been. And it's also just kind of showing the growth in business events in general. Uh, I think you know we've had so much turnover since the pandemic. We had some stats say about 54% turnover. And even just in sites membership, we have 1,200 brand new members just this last year. So I think that's just a testimony to the new entrants coming into the field uh, of business events in general. Uh, tell us more about site. I mean, I'm familiar with your organization, but just in case there's any new audience who's new to this. Well, thank you. Yeah, I love that. So again, we're a professional association. It's an individual membership uh, and founded 50 years ago, specific for incentive travel. So Incentive travel programs are those programs that just celebrate human achievement, if you will. So it's for those high achievers at a company, whether you're in sales, um, you might even just be like the employee of the year, whatever it is that it's it's where incentive travel is used as a reward. Um, and so the typical attendee is kind of known as a qualifier. Uh, some of the sectors that or have, rely heavily on incentive travel as those awards are like the finance and insurance industry, um, multi-level marketing. So, you know, things like Arbonne or, uh, you know, some of those where you're an individual seller, you might be, be um, qualifying to get that trip by having the top sales as an individual seller. Um, automotive and pharma use a lot of incentive travel. So, in our association, we have categories of membership. So we'll have a corporate end user. Um, for a while, I was the head of events for LPL Financial, and we had large, large incentive programs. So I belonged to site as I was a VP of conferences for LPL. And um, then we also have a lot of hotels and suppliers and cruise lines, you know, anybody that's where you could hold your incentive program. We have a lot of uh, CVBs or destination marketing organizations, you know, the San Diego Tourism Authority or Abu Dhabi business events, you know, those entities that want incentive travel in their destinations. Uh, and then we have a lot of agencies as well. So some, all the big incentive houses, you know, Merits, 110, BI, they, they are heavy sector of our membership um, as well as DMCs. And so the last sector, you know, DMCs really unlock that, those details and those special special little um, uh, unique parts of a destination. So really the DMC is a key to running your incentive 
program effectively. So that's that's the uh, makeup of the membership. I love it because it kind of ties into all the different, whether it's corporate or agency side, you know, and tie it all together. And they're, I guess I call it a place of belonging, but also yes. a resource for education and continuous improvement within what it is that you guys do. So that's really Absolutely. Great. Yeah. You know, we really do. It's, it's a good point. I mean, we really like to call it a community because every one of those entities that I just mentioned kind of need each other, you know? And so we have the way that they kind of rely on each other. We have a global directory, of course, but then we have uh, about 20 chapters around the world. And at the chapter level is really where our members are, are really getting to know each other, creating these lifelong relationships, being getting more involved as a volunteer and, and learning new leadership uh, skills. And also we have some global um, volunteer opportunities. You could run for our board and uh, our board of trustees on the foundation as well. So um, I think that is where the stickiness comes. So you'll see, like we say this on the association side, if you can keep them for two years, you can keep them for 10. So the people that have been around site for a long, long time are the ones that have really gotten involved and they end up just, you know, it becomes a, a really their professional family. I love it. And it's so true. I always say for organization, especially for something like this is you have to own your own experience and you yeah, get what you yeah. put into it. Right. Yes. There's some people say, well, I didn't get much. I'm like, well, what did you do? You know, it's and it really comes true. through that. It shines through. So it's such yeah. a good point, Amanda. And I think that, uh, you know, when you're thinking about the value proposition of anything you're joining, I mean, people pay to belong to site and any of these associations. So it's like, okay, what do you, what are those expectations of what you're getting for that investment and how much are you working it? Uh, but you know, it's kind of, it's, it takes all of us. It takes personal responsibility and initiative as well. So I, I completely agree. Yeah. And what are some of the current trends you're seeing in the incentive industry? So the lucky thing for the incentive world is that it didn't translate well to virtual. So whereas some of the other business event sectors took a little longer to recover after the pandemic, incentive programs were really some of the first ones back because, you know, that special trip to Barcelona or Zimbabwe, that was the reward trip for those top performers at that insurance company. You can't replicate that virtually. You know, you really got to go and immerse yourself in that destination. That's, that's the motivating factor. So we did see that incentives of all the business event sector, they kind of led the way in the recovery. So we actually by about 23, uh, early 23, we're really back to pre-pandemic levels um, as far as number of, of programs that were out there and, and um, the volume of attendees and things like that. We saw um, also what we're seeing now, and I think this is really exciting. I think it's, it's kind of some macro trends that incentive travel is uniquely positioned to capitalize on. But one of the macro trends is this virtual work environment that we're all living in, you know, virtual hybrid and companies are really struggling with building culture again, because people aren't really wanting to come back in the office. There's, there's many stats out there, but uh, you know, one of the early ones we did in our own research uh, in our insights research is 64% of workers never wanted to go back into an office. Again, the ones we talked to. So as an employer, uh, they're now seeing that incentive programs can be used to build camaraderie, to build culture. So they're kind of multi-purposing some of these incentive programs. 
So for example, if they're going to bring their top qualifiers already to this trip, why not add on a few days in advance and also bring all your managers in or some of your star employees in as well and you know, reward people in different ways. So we're seeing incentive travel used that way. And we're also seeing it really just as a way to um, engage some of the younger workers that are coming into the workplace. So another stat, there's so many of them, but one of them that I've seen uh, that seems pretty consistent is that by 2025, more than half of the workers in the US at least will be under 40 years old. So the whole millennial and Gen Z wave will really be, you know, as boomers, that other big mass of workers, they're uh, retiring out and the, the workplace is skewing younger and younger, which the qualify, that means our attendees to these programs are younger, our clients are younger, everybody working on them are younger. So it just brings a whole lot of new energy to how these incentive programs are designed. Uh, you know, back in the day, we might have thought, well, you, you have a spouse program with shopping and you've got your golf and you've got your spa and everybody lays by the pool all day. Now, there's definitely, you know, I like all those things. There's definitely going to be a, a segment that still likes all those things. And what you're seeing for some of this kind of more youthful trend is that they also want really authentic experiences. They want to go where the locals are going. They want just things that don't feel like they've been done before. Um, they want them. They want to be immersed in that destination. And so that really gives destinations and DMCs, you know, that whole supplier ecosystem gives them a whole lot of creative license to say, okay, you know, people do want to get off, off the property and they want to go and get their hands dirty and they want to get in there. And so I just think it's a really exciting time for a destination to just think differently and kind of unlock these local assets that are just going to be magic to these new attendees. Yeah, and there's the possibilities of what is truly endless, you know, and a yeah. lot of brands are looking for these like once in a lifetime experiences because you just can't do that, you know, in where you you are. So it's kind of really that's fun. It. No, you're so right, Amanda. And I think that's also something that came from the pandemic is that people want that bucket list experience again because they're not, they're not taking it for granted again. They never want their ability to, to travel to be forcibly taken away again. So they're not wasting time. They're like, look, let's do something different now. You know, let's go to that place that might not be perfect yet, but it's okay. We'll, we'll make, you know, we're ready to go to a place that is going to be a little rugged, a little bit, you know, rough edged because it's unique and we've never been there before. Great. And how about some of the best practices in the incentive industry? Yeah. So some of these things that, and this goes back to some of our research too, is just how the the whole, I'll call it an ecosystem again, because I can't think of a better word, but everybody really working together um, to solve some of the, the the issues we're seeing now. So there's two major ones that we're, we're um, facing. And one of them is, is, you know, the cost of things, even though in a bigger sense, the cost of travel is not outpacing inflation. It's still a little bit startling when you see the cost of some other things like food and beverage and, and things like that. So most of our surveys are showing that planners and buyers are very concerned about the cost of things. So, and you've got hotels that are reaching all-time high capacities, so their rates are going up. Yet their overall budget that they're getting from their end user, you know, that, that stakeholder, whether it's their, their CMO or whoever's, you know, signing off the budget, that's not growing as fast. So we need to, you know, some of the best practices are really just kind of one of those things all getting together and solving this 
issue together. So if your budget hasn't grown, but you know your costs are growing, how can we still create that magical experience for your attendees? Uh, what are some compromises we make in some areas so we don't compromise kind of that user experience in the other areas? Um, and then the other, the other trend um, that we're facing that we need to kind of come together and, and solve for is really this labor shortage. We're still really facing that. We need to be open and honest with each other about staffing levels at hotels. You know, the, usually incentive programs are done at, at luxury properties, you know, upper scale to luxury properties. And there's a certain expectation of staff to guest ratio. And that, those, since COVID and since a lot of these um, vacancies and staffing issues, those service levels might not be what we experienced before. So, you know, we're just really trying to talk to each other and, and keep an open conversation and transparent about these issues and really everybody coming to the table to solve them together because it's not like these hotels can just go staff up overnight. You know, they're trying, uh, but it's it may not be like that program that you operated there five years ago. And so what does that look like for the client and the supplier to come together and kind of just solve that? So those are two of the kind of the issues that we're dealing with together. But then as far as kind of best practices and trends, really going back to that uh, immersive and personalized and customized. So this younger generation and also just a more savvy consumer generation, you know, we all shop on Amazon and as we shop on Amazon, Amazon knows what we want. So it's going to, hey, Amanda, you just bought this. So why don't you buy this? You know, that, that, that uh, level of convenience and personalization, that doesn't stop when they come to our programs that we craft too. So now that the new qualifier, the new participant, they wanna be treated just as personal as your you know, AI platform there that knows what you want. So we have to do a better job at really getting to know our attendees who's coming, what are ways that we can customize and personalize their experience without, again, you know, taking too much time or it costing too much. There are ways to do it, but we have to make that participant feel uh, more and more special because that's the experience they're getting everywhere else. It takes extra effort for to convince them to come out. So once you get them on site, you have to really truly hit it out of the box for them to, I would say we build in a lot of surprise and delights. So you yes. never know, like for one of the incentive travel we did, we literally every night, our team put together a little goodie bag that's in the room. So they love always it. go back. And I, I love that because I remember going to Legoland with my kids and then every yeah. night they put in a new Lego. So oh, we kind of so like, great. you know, surprise and delight, not just the first day. Cause I feel like a lot of people do that, but we did. And it doesn't right. have to be something big, but it's exactly. something like people could take with them, with them the next day to enjoy or like take them onto the mixer at dinner. So it's just really fun to incorporate all those different elements as well. It's true. And that doesn't cost a lot. Those are just mm -hmm. nice, small, little things. I'll tell you one thing when we were doing uh, some, some planning when I was on the planner side. So one of the hotels, um, so our incentives always involved families because at least the financial advisors we dealt with, it was usually a family business. And so their spouse was involved in the, in the, the firm as well as their kids. So we, our incentives were kid-friendly. And so one night uh, we came up with this idea with the hotel that we would deliver milk and cookies to the kids in the room with a handwritten note, you know, that said, dear Amanda, thank you for sharing your parents with us. 
uh, you know, during this journey, because, you know, again, like there's a lot of times when their parents weren't around because they had to travel and everything else. So that's an easy thing. We were going to do a room drop anyway, right? You're going to do a little, so it was already in the budget, but it's just that one more step of like, okay, you got to get the kid's name and, you know, write that little note, but talk about a major impact. You know, these are, these are things that just to give a little thought, but doesn't cost a lot, just a little bit more effort. Oh, I love that. And I bet next time they have to go to that incentive trip again, the kids are like, yes, I'm on board. Let's go. Oh, that's it. That's it. Right. You better qualify this year, mom. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And, you know, I know you've also mentioned, like we talked about, you've done a lot of work to help elevate women in the workplace. What really ignited that passion for you? Oh, that's a great question. It's probably one of my favorite things to talk about is really just workplace equity. And I don't think I ever really thought about it until about 10 years ago when I started working for a big company that it was probably the biggest company at the time, maybe 15 years ago, where it was the first time I experienced these big meetings where specifically just women were kind of, their ideas were kind of shut down or their ideas were taken and repackaged by someone else in the room. And then you would just watch throughout that meeting as women just shut down entirely you know, and then it would just be men talking. And I just think it wasn't like those people even were aware that it was happening. But as a newcomer to that setting, I just started becoming aware of it. And it was just kind of the first time I was in a setting where it just didn't feel equitable for everyone. And um, so then I just kind of, again, started paying more attention to it. And I, I think uh, I saw other times where even as I was negotiating for my own salary at another job, um, you know, I knew what the sal the the last person was making, and when I, I I asked for a certain amount, and you know, I was questioned about why why I wanted that amount, and I thought, boy, that person I never would have gotten asked that if I was a guy, you know. So long story short, I was just kind of being more aware of these things, and I did. I got laid off from one of my positions, and I started going to these. Um, outplacement services that the company provided. And it was all these people from all over different sectors, not just the business event space, but kind of people around my same age, you know, probably 40-ish. And I was just more kind of attuned to how the women were showing up in that in that space of transition. And people were just like off their game. You know, I think their confidence was down and, you know, nobody likes when you're, you, you weren't, you didn't leave on your own. So it's always a little bit unsettling anyway. But then I was looking at these really capable women and they had these great resumes and, you know, long history of stuff, but they were just in a down place. And then the more I talked to other friends of mine right around that same age, you know, maybe they were re-entering the workforce after raising their kids at home and they were super insecure. Like, oh, does, do I even have any transferable skills? How do I look for a job? Or they were going through a divorce, like, oh, and so they didn't have confidence because they just felt like that was disruptive. So I thought, boy, you know what? We have got to find a way to support each other. Again, I was not that men don't go through these issues too, but what was just women or what I could relate to. So I started a series of women's conferences down here in San Diego, uh, just to kind of rally around and support each other. And I had been teaching some of this content already at San Diego State, like how to brand yourself, uh, how to have good communication. Um, how to get uh, how to get a hold of self-limiting beliefs, you know, and and so I was just we just created I had a steering committee and we created about two days of content and had a whole bunch of speakers came in and did that for about four years. So it kind of just kicked off this just passion that I'll I will always uh, be available to, for any woman that needs career advice or support. 
uh, professionally. That's so amazing. I love that. You know what? Um, during COVID, I actually took a women in leadership course at Cornell virtually. Uh, awesome. But cool. it was so empowering, you know, kind of because what you just talked about, we talked about there, like, why is this so much easier for men to talk about certain things? And as women, we kind of are a little bit apologetic if we're more accomplished yeah. or we're just, yeah. you know, we go around versus just like, I did that. I did, I led that or I totally. championed that. You know, so it's be more confident. Yeah, it's really it's totally true. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think when you start kind of learning about unconscious bias, which I'm sure was part of your training in there too. And, you know, we do self-sabotage ourselves and, and um, there's a, a really great uh, friend of mine. His name is Mike Gamble and he runs Searchwide, such a good man. And he is, uh, Searchwide is probably the biggest recruitment firm for hospitality industry. So he placed me, his firm placed me at site, but they do the recruiting for all the associations and DMOs, CVBs. And he and I, and another friend of ours, Amanda Armstrong, who's an SVP at Encore, we started a panel. We've done it twice now, but we're going to keep going um, specifically on wage gap for women. And why is there still such a wage gap? And what are women doing to sabotage their own, their selves? when it comes to negoti negotiating salaries and negotiating raises. And to hear Mike say it, you know, Mike has placed super qualified people, but he, he hears a difference in the way women negotiate and men negotiate. And he knows they're, you know, they're bringing the same thing to the table, but he hears like this, um, it's a, it's, I guess, apologetic approach and they, they shortchange themselves. So uh, it's been an interesting uh workshop that we've delivered a few times now. And we are actually brought Jason Dunn, who's the head of National Coalition of Black Meeting Professionals at the last delivery we did at IMEX, uh, because for women, it's there's a still a 24% wage gap. For women of color, it's even 33%. So, you know, so that we are still got a long way to go in, in equity, uh, for sure. Well, kudos to you for being a women champion. And for those of you, you know, yeah. Annette offers, so definitely yeah, pick her up on it. Call I think it's anytime. not every day. Yeah, I remember being young and looking for a mentor. Like that's a woman. Yeah. That was my first qualifier. As I, I wanted women because I know it's yeah. different consideration. So if I yeah. met Annette twenty years ago, she, I would definitely, you know, take her up on her offer. So this is so it's great. I love the mentor conversation. It's so critical, right, Amanda? I was lucky. I did have awesome bosses. I've had great men and women bosses. And the ones that I, you know, still hold dear to my heart that are part of my, I call them my personal board of directors now, my, my boss, Christine Shimasaki, who was my boss at San Diego Tourism Authority, uh, and then Terry Brining, and she was uh, my owner of a, an events firm that I worked for twice. And they're still dear friends, but they just taught me what it means to, to really lead with both head and heart. You know, you don't have to be um, without emotion. Uh, as a woman leader, you know, you don't have to apologize for that just because people, you know, don't like emotion or, or wonder if a woman's going to break down. It doesn't mean you have to show up robotic, you know, that that's them to handle that, uh, to deal with. But so, and, and yet always be prepared, come with data, have your case together, you know, lead with head as well. So those two really taught me a lot and I eternally grateful for their mentorship, but I think mentoring is a critical part of this for sure. So find find a mentor. <laughs> That's another yeah. great tip for everybody. In yeah, terms in fact, of site is launching a mentor program right now. If you want, it's uh um we have a young leaders and emerging professionals group, and we have a women women in leadership group, and they're both launching a free mentorship program. So you can go to our website and sign up. 
That's great. Oh my gosh. So many great tips today. And right now you're the CEO of site. So that's like highest position, but what would you say is that one scale that really helped propel your professional career over the years? Mm, boy, that's a great question. One skill. Well, I, I'll tell you, I think it is um, optimism, to be frank. You know, I think that I really like coming into places that are stuck or need a little bit of infusion of energy and kind of paint a picture and a vision of, of what can be there and really leading people along that journey. Uh, to, to kind of higher ground. So I think optimism and faith for me, you know, kind of faith in the vision, faith in the people around me. I mean, I have a, I have a personal faith that I rely heavily on, but I think you need that as a leader. And for me, I think that's really helped uh, people get, get on board with me um, when I've entered those new positions. You know, you, you got to give them a vision and, and get them excited about it. That's great. Awesome. And then how about self-care? How do you practice self-care among all the million things that you have to accomplish? I love that too. You know, and we all know this, our industry is super stressful and a lot of people burn out. And I, you know, I, I have a lot of talks with my staff when, when they're not uh, taking care of themselves, because I don't want that for them either. You know, I always say um, a job, deserves our best, but not the best of us. So we should do our best work, but we shouldn't give our entire selves to our jobs. You know, we are more than our jobs, right? I mean, at the end of my life, I don't want it to say CEO of sight on my headstone, right? I want to say, you know, woman of God and, and great wife and mother. And, and, you know, I want to give back to humanity, not just give back to, to sight. So if we ever feel, I think it's first of all, it's an awareness of really asking ourselves like, hey, are we giving too much? to our vocation. I mean, it's, it's, it's great to be a successful professional, uh, but I never want it to take the place of the other things that really matter in my big scheme of, of life. You know, it's just one of the high pieces in my life. So I think the first thing is really just to sit with yourself and ask those hard questions. And then for self-care, you know, for me, it's a balance. I, I uh, really have to have a uh, everyday regimen of exercise, prayer, and sleep. Like, quite honestly, you know, those are the, the things that keep me grounded and keep me, I, I really don't carry a lot of stress around because of those three things. And, um, you know, I, I, I think I can handle weather the storm if I keep those things consistent, even when I'm traveling, you know, even with crazy weeks like IMAX or whatever, uh, keeping those three things in the mix every day are helpful. Uh, that's awesome. Any additional advice you want to share with the audience? Well, I, I think it's never done me wrong to, to give freely. You know, I feel like there's many, many times where I've given through resume reading to people or editing and free job connections and free, I've, I've spoken and taught for free, you know, to different entities. And I, I think while there's a limit to, to that, especially if you're your own business, um, it's come back to me tenfold. You know, I just feel like it's that abundance mentality that I'm, I just want to help people. I want to give people what they, what, whatever I can that, that is, you know, is at my disposal. And then when there's a time when I needed a favor, it's never, the answer's never been no. Cause I think, you know, if you, you start with giving, <laughs> then when you need uh, people are always there for you. So that's just kind of my overarching uh, ideas like what do you have that that you can offer and again kind of give 
to others. And then again, I just think that builds this foundation uh, of your brand too, and of who you are personally and what you stand for. I love that. I mean, from the moment we connected today, literally up to this moment, I have not seen you not smile. So I definitely see like the optimism also just through the communication, through the research I did on you in the background. It's like, you just are a go-giver. And I think those yeah. people, like you said, you actually end up receiving more. That wasn't the intention, but because right. you send out so many good vibes, so many good deeds, it definitely yeah. comes back. Yeah, it's true, right? It's true. And and I know uh, there's times when we're too spent to keep giving. And I, I do believe in healthy boundaries, you know? So I think a lot of times in this field in particular, because we're all type A's, you know, a lot of us, they're drawn to this industry because we like the adrenaline of it. We like being in charge. We like multi-dimensional uh, projects that are complicated and we like bringing order to chaos. And at the same time, if we're doing that so intensely for most of our day and we look up and then we, we figure, oh, we missed dinner, we missed our workout, you know, we missed prayer, whatever it is that centers us, that's when we get in trouble. So it really starts with a little bit of self-awareness, you know, and just kind of taking inventory. Uh, and are we putting our time in the right, in the right buckets? Uh, but I this am, is, I, I'm, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy <laughs> because I feel very fortunate. Uh, you and I were talking before we started, you know, how lucky are we that, that we're in a career we still love? And we can say, we still love it. It's not even just like, oh, I got a great job. It's like, no, we love what we do. And I am grateful for that for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's tested because recently we did an activation and they have a, a roller machine. So you okay. test and it tells you your colors. And then one of the color, when it's pink, that means you're passionate about what you do. So I okay. have pink on my Aurora and they're the person that was doing the activation for us say, wow, you must really enjoy what you're doing. And that's so funny love because, it. you know, as the head of the agency, I'm like, yes, I do love it. And it, it shows I'm up on my smile, but right. also it shows up on the Aurora. So I just thought it was really funny. Oh, that's great. So you're authentic through and through, right? That's what that says. You're not faking it. So incredible. I can't believe we're already coming to an end. Thank you so much, Annette, for joining us today and sharing all your wisdom. And remember, for those of you that are tuning in, she offer, you know, advice to help women and even their next generation of young leadership programs. So definitely check that out. I think site is full of resources. Don't be afraid to reach out. I think a lot of it, like she mentioned, is what you put into it. It's the resources out there. You just got to go yeah. out and find it and use it and leverage it. So thank you, Annette. Oh, Amanda, thanks for all you're doing. Thanks for having me today. I can't wait to see you in person and hug you next time I see you. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time on Event Up.